Well, this morning we are finishing our sermon series going through 2 Timothy, which we have entitled Finishing Well. And as most of you know, our lead pastor, Pastor Sam, will be transitioning out of his role as lead pastor after next Sunday. And transitioning out of his, this role does not mean that he is finishing his race as Lord willing he will have many more years of fruitful ministry left in his race. But while he's not finishing his race, he is finishing a particular leg in his race. And after serving for 15 years as lead pastor of two different churches, he is indeed finishing well in this role. Sam has been a tremendous encouragement and blessing to many people including all of us in this room. He has faithfully preached and proclaimed God's word. He has proclaimed the gospel so that many who are not Christians have become Christians. He has discipled many people, invest, counseled many people. He has trained many for ministry. Indeed, there have been many Timothys in his life whom he has poured into, whom he has trained, who he has entrusted with the word. And I count myself to be profoundly grateful to be one of those. Well, I hope to finish our sermon series well, in spite of the fact that last week, Pastor Sam actually threw my sermon text under the bus. If you were here last Sunday, he said that his text last week, 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8, was really the, the finishing aspect of Paul's letter, and the verses after were just kind of an add-on. And I thought, as I sat there and listened, I thought, thanks a lot, pal, you know. <laughs> Remember how you preached a little earlier about how all Scripture is breathed out by God? Remember how that's in the Bible? Anyways. 2 Timothy is the last recorded letter of Paul. He was coming to the end. We saw last week that his expectation was that he was very near the end of his life. In chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he wrote, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the right for race. I have kept the faith. Paul kept the faith. He finished the race. He finished well. And our hope for this sermon series is that we will all grow in our understanding of what it means to run well and be encouraged to finish well as followers of Jesus. And our text this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. And far from being a throwaway text, our passage reveals Paul's humanity, his help, and his hope. So let's read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to, to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with, with you, for he is very useful for me, for, to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. 
At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. One of the things I appreciate about the end of this letter is that the humanity and even the frailty of Paul comes to light. Specifically, we see his need for companionship, his physical needs, as well as his pain and disappointments. First, we see his need for companionship. To some degree or another, he felt lonely, isolated, cut off, and abandoned. In light of this, he urged Timothy to visit him soon. He longed to see Timothy in person. Timothy was a dear friend and faithful co-laborer who provided comfort and encouragement to Paul. Paul was honest about his desire for companionship. He didn't hide his longings behind spiritual-sounding language as if his maturity in Christ meant he had outgrown human needs. After all, the Lord is the one who created us and designed us for relationships. In the creation account in Genesis, we read how God created everything and everything was good. The first time that the Lord said something was not good was when he said that it was not good that the man was alone. Think about that. Adam enjoyed perfect fellowship with God, even before God created Eve. And yet, even though he enjoyed and experienced perfect fellowship with God, God still looked upon his situation and said, it is not good for him to be alone. And so we see that God has created and designed us for relationships. God remedied that problem by creating, creating Eve. And Adam and Eve came together in the first marriage. But of course, marriage is not the only remedy for being alone. After all, Paul was a single man, and the Lord provided him with wonderful friends and co-laborers throughout his ministry. However, when he wrote 2 Timothy, many of them were not around, some for good reasons, some because they were carrying out the work of the ministry in other cities as Paul had commissioned them and trained them to do. But some were not around for bad reasons, including Demas. With some being absent for good reasons and others being absent for bad reasons, the result was that Paul was in need of the encouragement that comes through Christ-centered companionship. Brothers and sisters, we too need the encouragement, strength, and comfort that comes through Christ-centered companionship. We need to be encouraged and we need to give encouragement. We need to receive prayer and we need to pray for others. We need to bear the burdens of others and we need others to help bear our burdens. We need to be strengthened and we need to strengthen. 
I plead with you, do not let pride prevent you from being honest about your needs, about your sins, about your areas of weakness. Do not keep these things from your brothers and sisters in Christ. We all need these relationships built on the gospel whereby we can be transparent. We can be transparent about those times when we need help. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed about your weaknesses, about your sins, about those times when you need help. Don't let pride prevent you. Don't let shame prevent you. Pursue relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ built on the gospel of Jesus Christ, whereby you can be open and honest, whereby you can give help and receive help. One of the things we see in the New Testament is dozens of one another commands. Commands that we are given in relation, uh, in regards to how we are to relate to one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to forgive one another. All these commands about how we are to relate to one another. We cannot fulfill these commands, these one another commands, without being in relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Paul desired this type of companionship for good reason. He needed it, and so do we. We also see his humanity in some of his physical needs and desires. I get the impression that while he was in prison, he really didn't want to be bored and cold. He wanted Timothy to bring his cloak. He said, come come and visit me soon. And then he clarified a little later, come before winter. Bring my coat. Bring some books. And above all, bring the parchment so I can write. He didn't want to be cold. He didn't want to be bored. I can relate to that. In his humanity, he also experienced disappointment and pain. One of the most significant disappointments in his ministry may have been Demas. We learn a little bit about Demas in a couple of other places in Scripture. At the end of the short book of Philemon, Paul wrote, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you. And so do Mark Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And in Colossians 4.14, Paul said, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Luke was a close companion of Paul and an important fellow worker in the gospel. And we see that Demas was a part of that group as well. Demas was a friend of Paul. He was a co-laborer in the ministry. He probably traveled with him. He probably helped him and aided him. He probably listened to Paul teach on many occasions. He probably witnessed extraordinary miracles. He probably saw many people come to faith in Christ, having their lives changed and transformed. Yet sadly, at the end of Paul's life, as he was imprisoned awaiting execution, Demas deserted him. Demas deserted Paul and the work of the ministry because he was in love with this present world. I can only imagine how painful it was for Paul to write, to write that as he reflected on the tragic decisions of Demas. When Paul spoke of Demas being in love with this present world in verse 9, he seemed to be contrasting Demas with what he described in verse 8. In verse 8, Paul said, "...henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness." which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
When he talked about those who have loved his appearing, he was referring to the second coming of Christ. And what he was saying is that for those who love Christ, who are eagerly awaiting his return, there will be a reward, a crown of righteousness. So he speaks of those who are eagerly uh, awaiting the return of Christ because their heart and their affection is set on Christ and his kingdom. And he's saying, by contrast, Demas is in love with this present world in its present form. There are those who love Jesus, whose hearts are set on him and his kingdom. And then there are those who are in love with this world in its present form. The heartbreaking story of Demas provides a warning for all of us. Here was a man who worked with Paul, hand in hand, the great apostle. He was there. He witnessed the ministry firsthand, the things we read about. He witnessed it firsthand. He was a part of it, helping to plant churches, preaching the gospel to non-Christians, seeing many come to faith in Christ, enduring persecution, witnessing miracles. And yet he walked away because he loved this world. If this was the case for Demas, we should not be so prideful to think, oh, that could never happen to me. We should recognize that the story of Demas serves as a warning. Where are you setting your affection? What or whom do you love? Is there something in this world that you love more than Christ? Not necessarily something sinful. You can love a good thing, a good gift from God. Too much, inordinately, more than Christ, so that you are no longer loving him and eagerly awaiting his return. Brothers and sisters, we would do well to examine our own hearts as we consider the tragic story of Demas. Well, back to the point, to have a brother or sister in Christ who is close to you and then walk away from you is deeply painful, especially when it seems as though they are loving the world more than Jesus. Some of you have experienced this, and so did Paul. And while Demas deserted him, Alexander actively did him harm. He actively opposed Paul and his ministry and may have been the reason Paul was imprisoned. Alexander's opposition was a reminder that we live in a world that is in rebellion against the Lord. Alexander was one of many who opposed Christians in the ministry of the gospel and who will continue to oppose Christians in the ministry of the gospel. And yet Paul did not seem to be consumed with gaining victory over Alexander. Instead, he entrusted Alexander's judgment to the Lord. He said the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. He wasn't consumed with getting revenge on Alexander. He wasn't consumed with putting Alexander in his place. He entrusted Alexander's judgment to the Lord. The Lord will judge him. It's out of my hands. The reality of the Lord's judgment helps us to rightly see people who do us harm. You see, he was able to say, I know what's coming. And that is a sober reality. 
the judgment of the Lord will be severe for those who are unrepentant. And he knew that. Paul knew that this judgment that was coming for Alexander would be severe. Therefore, Paul did not have to try to exact revenge. He could leave that to the Lord. And so he was not consumed with revenge. Alexander did him great harm, but he also knew that Alexander would not escape judgment apart from repentance and faith in Christ. Some of you have been treated poorly because of your faith in Christ. So was Paul. Demas abandoned him. Alexander did him great harm. And moreover, at his first defense, no one stood by him. Think of all the people he ministered to. Think of all the people he cared for. Think of all the relationships he built. Think of all the people he introduced to Jesus Christ. There were many. And none of them were there for him at his first defense. No one showed up. Decades of ministry, decades of pouring himself out, decades of selfless service for the good of others. And in his moment of need, at his first offense, probably in regard to this trial, at the first offense in this trial, no one was there. So Paul's humanity is on display in our text in some simple ways, such as his desire not to be cold and bored, but also in more significant ways, including his experience with loneliness, abandonment, pain, and disappointment. The fact that Paul would be able to sympathize with us if he were here when we experience loneliness, abandonment, pain, and disappointment is really of no help because at the risk of sounding painfully obvious, he is not here. However, seeing Paul's humanity in our passage is helpful because we not only see his humanity, but we also see where his help came from. In our passage, we also see Paul's help. In spite of the fact that Demas deserted him, in spite of the fact that Alexander did him great harm, and in spite of the fact that no one stood by him at his first defense, he still had all the help he needed. He declared, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Paul can't draw near to us to strengthen, strengthen us, but he can certainly point us to the one who can. Paul was well aware of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ with him in his imprisonment, with him on trial, and with him in his moments of weakness and heartache. If you are a follower of Jesus, you ought to expect trials in this life, but you also ought to expect that the Lord will be with you and that he will strengthen you. Paul said the Lord stood by him and strengthened him so that through him the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. The Lord strengthened him to do the very thing that put him in danger, faithfully proclaiming the gospel. And again, when Paul said this, when he talked about the Lord strengthening him, that the gospel might be fully proclaimed, he was probably referring to his trial. He was probably referring to the fact that while he was on trial, he was able to faithfully proclaim the gospel. Do you see that Paul's focus during his trial was not being victorious. It was proclaiming the gospel. That's what was more important to him. During his trial, proclaiming the gospel was of more importance to him than gaining victory in the, out, in the trial. He wanted to proclaim the gospel. He wanted to make the most of this opportunity to preach Christ. He understood 
the necessity and urgency of proclaiming the gospel. Years earlier, when he wrote a letter to the Romans, he said, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. As Paul explained in this passage in Romans, faith comes from hearing in order for a non-Christian, to become a Christian, they must hear the gospel proclaimed and respond in faith. Therefore, it is necessary for the gospel to be preached. It must be preached. It must be proclaimed so that people will hear and believe and be saved. And here in 2 Timothy, we see that he applied what he had previously written to the Romans while he was on trial in Rome. The late Bible scholar Alfred Plummer wrote, It is quite possible that this event, which the apostle to the Gentiles regards as the completing act of his own mission and ministry, took place in the forum itself. But at any rate, it would be held in a court to which the public had access. And the Roman public at this time was the most representative in the world. In that representative city, and before that representative audience, he preached Christ. And through, the, and through those who were present and heard him, the fact would be known throughout the civilized world that in the imperial city and before the imperial bench, the apostle of Christ had proclaimed the coming of his kingdom. The Lord stood by him, strengthened him, and rescued him from the lion's mouth so that he could boldly proclaim the gospel in the face of opposition. For what do you seek the Lord's help? Do you seek the Lord's strength to make the gospel known to others? Do you look for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those whom the Lord has sovereignly placed in your life? There are people in your life who have not trusted in Christ. You might be the best opportunity they have to hear the truth of the gospel. Do you pray for the Lord to strengthen you, to give you boldness, that you might share Christ with them? Every one of us needs the Lord's help and strength every day for a whole host of reasons. The Lord sees, the Lord knows. And therefore, let's be honest about our needs rather than attempt to cover up our weaknesses. And as we acknowledge our need for the Lord's help and strength for many reasons, let's not forget that one of those reasons is to be a faithful witness. So Paul experienced loneliness, abandonment, pain, and disappointment, but more importantly, the Lord stood by him and strengthened him. But not only did the Lord strengthen him, the Lord gave him unshakable hope. In our passage, we see Paul's hope. When Paul said he was rescued from the lion's mouth, he didn't specify who the lion was. John Stott notes that some valid guesses include the emperor Nero, Satan, Paul's prosecutor, death, or more generally the danger in which his enemies placed him. Whatever the case, 
the Lord rescued Paul from someone or something, and his rescue from the mouth of the lion gave him confidence in his future deliverance. He said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Now, he certainly did not mean that he wasn't going to suffer. After all, he had already suffered many evil deeds at the hands of evil men. He listed many of these in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. He said, five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, a, whole, a lot of danger. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now when Paul said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, someone might say to him, do you suffer from memory loss? Because you have suffered a lot of evil deeds. You've gone through the ringer. Have you forgotten what's happened to you? But of course, that was not the case. He knew that he had suffered. Clearly, Paul didn't mean he wasn't going to suffer. And when he said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, he also did not mean that he was not going to die. After all, we have already seen that Paul said the time of his departure had come. And he didn't die a peaceful death of old age. No, he was very, he was very likely executed. He had suffered much pain and many injustices, and he was facing certain death. So what exactly did Paul mean when he confidently asserted that the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed? Well, he seems to let us know in the way he finished the sentence. He said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Yes, Paul suffered evil deeds at the hands of evil men. Yes, he would most likely be executed in what amounted to a gross injustice. Yet nothing could prevent the Lord from fulfilling his good promises to Paul. No one could prevent the Lord from bringing Paul safely home into his kingdom. By God's amazing grace and extraordinary mercy... Paul had fixed his eyes on Jesus and his kingdom. He had set his mind on things that are above and not on things that are here on earth. He had laid up treasures in heaven and not on earth. His delight was in his heavenly citizenship and not his earthly citizenship. In Romans 8, 31 through 37, he wrote, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who was at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, brothers and sisters, Paul understood the best thing that he had going for him. His greatest treasure was the love of God in Christ Jesus. And no one could take that from him. Nothing could separate that from him. That was unshakable, immovable. It was a guarantee. Nothing in this life, no matter how bad it is, could take from Paul the best thing that he had going from him for him. His hope was in Christ and his kingdom, and his joy was in the love of God which was poured into his heart in Christ Jesus. The hope that the Lord gave Paul was like an anchor in his life that helped him weather the storms of persecution, disappointment, and loneliness. Every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us has many weaknesses. Some of us are a little better at covering it up than others. But the reality is we are all sinful. We are all weak. We are all needy. But the good news is that the Lord helps us. He cares for us. He strengthens us. He is with us. And he gives us a hope that cannot be shaken. As James Bryan Smith said, you are one in whom Christ delights and dwells. You live in a strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither are you. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as your children, knowing and confessing that we are sinners, we fall short of your glory, we are weak, we are unable to overcome our sin. We are desperate, we are needy, we are those who are in need of your help every moment of every day for a whole host of reasons. And we thank you and we praise you that you do help us. You care for us. You strengthen us. You are with us. And we thank you and praise you for the hope that you give us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your kingdom which you have promised to us which cannot be taken, which cannot be shaken. We pray that we will be honest and transparent about our own needs. We pray that we'd be willing to seek help from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray that we will rely on your strength at work in us. And we pray that we will fix our hope on you and your kingdom and not love this present world. We pray these things will be true of us. And we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.